today we're going to be sharing testimonies. Now, a testimony doesn't have to be about how you got saved, how you met the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be how God met you in a different way, how God blessed you. So I want to read a little verse from Psalm 85, verse 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Now, if you don't know what a revival is, you're going to find out today. And if, the, if a revival does happen, you'll know about it. Yeah? That's the one I want. That will save me a lot of work. <laughs> um, yeah, so the testimonies today have a theme running through it, and it's going to be a revival. And the people I've asked to speak today are also part of my testimony. So I'm, I think it's going to be very exciting. It comes with a word of warning. If you can't place my accent, I'm speaking very slowly at the moment because I'm from South Wales. And when I get excited, I start singing, I do, and I'm speaking <laughs> to you, okay? So if I get excited and you can't understand a word I'm saying, just go like this, and I'll slow down. If ever the world needed a revival, they need it now. Just looking at what's happening in the world, the church should be impacting the world, not the world impacting the church. So testimonies. Um, so I said it was about revival. So if you don't know anything about revival, I'm just going to share a little bit about it first. A wonderful man of God called James Edwin Orr said, and this man was uh, uh, from Belfast, he was a, a Baptist minister. He wrote hymns and he had a great knowledge of revival. And he said this, In times of evangelism, the evangelist seeks the sinner. In times of revival, the sinners come chasing after the Lord. Um, if you don't know anything about revivals, I would Google the Hebridean revival, or sometimes it's called the Lewis revival, back in 1949 uh, with a great, another great man of God, Duncan Campbell, Reverend Duncan Campbell. And for me, this is um, a great example of what a revival is, where God steps in or God steps down, as it says. So I want to read a little something about um, how it happened. So the Hebridean revival began with two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. Listen to their ages. One was 84 years of age and blind, the other 82 and crippled with arthritis. They were greatly burdened because no young person attended public worship at their church. And I was thinking about that and watching all the kids going out and I thought the church is going to be half empty. There were so many going out there. But I think it's really wonderful as I look around that there's so many young people in this church. So anyone 84 and under comes in that group. <laughs> um, right, they were greatly burdened because no young person attended public worship at the church. They decided to pray twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Now remember their ages, right? 82 and 84. Um, Tuesdays and Fridays. They got on their knees at 10 in the evening 
and remain there until three or four in the morning. When God sets you to pray, he's serious. Something needs to happen, and he sets people to pray. Then Peggy had a vision of the church crowded with young people. They persuaded their minister to call a session. It was a call to prayer. And in the prayer meeting, a young man got up and read from Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindicate from, uh, vindication from God their Savior. Now what happened after that was amazing, but I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'd like you to go and Google it or read the book or find out about it if you don't know, because it was quite amazing what happened. So the three, I have asked three people, but I think one of them's not here today because they're not well. So the three people uh, I've asked, um, they're going to share a little about, their, uh, about revival. And each of these are part of my testimony. So the first person I'm going to ask to speak is Colin Kirkwood. Colin. everybody. Uh, thanks, uh, Colin. Um, what I, don't, I want to do is basically share with you um, from Scripture about revival. Um, and if you want to go to Scripture and find out what revival is, read the Acts of the Apostles, especially the early chapters. You'll see God really working there. Um, it wouldn't, there isn't time just now to do that. So what I thought I'd do is I'd uh, turn with you um, to the Old Testament, really to have a look at what happens when, from God's point of view um, when, when revival happens, because uh, it's God who's behind revival. So very well-known uh, text is uh, from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And if you've got um, Bibles, you've got the app, um, you can find it there. We do have Bibles dotted around the church on some of the windowsills. You're welcome to help yourself to them. Uh, and the church Bible, it's um, page 442, which makes 2 Chronicles chapter 7 um, easy, easy to find. So it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, um, reading from verse 11, and I'm just going to read to verse 14. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon, um, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and significantly heal their land. So what I'd like to do is just consider that further. 
Solomon and thousands of men had spent seven long, hard years building a temple to the Lord, and this passage tells us that. Then the Lord appeared to him in the night with a warning and a promise. First of all, the warning. Remember, the people of Israel were a rural, agriculturally based community. To a large extent, they earned their living from the land. And here we find the Lord's warning in verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. This is God speaking. He was already foreseeing dreadful and difficult times to come. Why was this? Well, you will see in the next verse that the Lord refers to the need for the people to turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. In other words, the implication is that as a direct result of the wicked behavior, the land and the economy would be hit hard. Does that sound familiar? When a nation turns its back on the Lord, that is when trouble starts. We see this happening very clearly in our nation today. And I wonder if you see the results in the state and condition of our society, our economy, and our public services. That, if you like, is the, is the bad news. But what about the promise that comes out in this, this, uh, this section of scripture? It goes on in verse 14 to say, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The verse begins by referring to my people. In those days, this was referring to the people of Israel. God's chosen people. Nowadays, as Christians, we are his chosen people. Chosen before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 1 verse 4. The church, those who believe in the saving power of Jesus Christ and have committed their lives to his service, we are his people, his sons and daughters. What then is the promise to my people? Towards the end of verse 14, we read, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Is that not what we all want for our country? What we long for in the middle of all the uncertainty and hopelessness, the promise of forgiveness for our people and consequent healing of our land. Well, the, com the promise comes with responsibility. The first part of the verse states, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We are to humble ourselves before our almighty, holy, and sovereign God. We are called to pray and seek his face. This is quite a thought in prayer, seeking the face of the mighty God, the creator and sustainer of the world, the universe, and everything in them. And thirdly, turn from our wicked ways. Not just ask for forgiveness, but by an act of will, recognize that to be effective together, we need a change of life. A life centered on living for God, putting into practice our responsibility as the body of Christ, representing him in our family and to our friends, neighbors, and colleagues. A significant part of my own testimony was noticing in a group of Christians that there was something different about their lives which I realized I needed. Mark 
Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. The day you were born and the day you found out why. So to sum up, revival occurs when Christians recognize their own shortcomings and turn from them in repentance, when they genuinely humble themselves before God, seek his face with determination, and cry to him in prayer. God then says he will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. In the past, revival has even started with a small group of serious and dedicated Christians getting together to pray. We heard about that a moment ago. When God moves by his Holy Spirit in response, the church is revived and that in turn transforms the community. Sometimes in the past this has been localized, but there are other times when the whole nation has been impacted. That's what Scotland and the UK desperately need. The question is, are we willing as God's people to take up the responsibility in order to pray that our nation be transformed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I'd just like to finish with a short reading. This was uh, something that my wife directed me to, Terry, who's sitting over there. Um, she uses Through the Year with David Watson, a very famous Anglican preacher, um, from many years ago, and this book was 40 year, written 40 years ago, and I just thought that this particular uh, section that he wrote um, was particularly relevant. He says, John Stott, another name in the Christian community that many of you will have heard about, a famous uh, pastor from uh, the Anglican Church, John Stott has said the desperate need of the church today is the Holy Spirit. We need individual Christians filled with the Spirit more than that, we need revival, a mighty supernatural visitation of the Holy Spirit in the community. Nothing else will save our church from its spiritual torpor or our country from lapsing into complete paganism. Notice that nothing else will do. There's a feverish activity within the church concerning everything else. New buildings, new services, new reports, new reunion schemes, new organizations. If only this were altered, or that things would be different. People seem to be saying they are wrong, nothing else but the Holy Spirit's revival will save our church from its spiritual torpor. Our country is increasingly sick with pornography, permissiveness, anarchy, occultism, its pagan atmosphere is increasingly obvious. What is the answer? Nothing else but the Holy Spirit's revival will save our country from lapsing into complete paganism. We must be ready for any and every genuine move of the Holy Spirit of God. Too many Christians are nervous and suspicious about anything outside their experience. We dig our little trenches, said Billy Graham. We say, oh God, you're going to work this way and only this way. But God breaks out and does it his own way. Thanks be to God that we have a God such as that. Amen. <clears throat> Well, if that hasn't put you right, I wouldn't, don't know what will. So, one thing I love about revival, it comes from the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. It's not something that man has made up and thought, this is a good idea, why don't we try doing this? Revival can only come from God. We can pray about it, 
but he is the one that has to um, start it. So the next person I'd like to come up is a young lady. <laughs> to me, she's a very young lady. She's a wonderful woman. She has blessed me so much, uh, as so many other people of here. And um, yeah, so Suzanne. prayed uh, for revival for many years actually um, uh, in the 80s I held a tape library for the intercessory movement Lydia Fellowship um, uh, an intercessory fellowship and it had a wealth of teaching I had a wealth of teaching at my fingertips I loved hearing Duncan Campbell who was involved as we've heard in the Lewis revival Joy Dawson who some of you YWAMers may have heard of and, and others as much as I could of the great classics by the likes of Leonard Ravenhill, John Wesley, Oswald Smith, Andrew Murray. Mary Morrison, um, I was saved in the revival, the Lewis revival, who then married Colin Peckham and together they wrote Sounds of a Revival, two wonderful books that I could recommend. Steve Taylor on the Sky Revivals and Tom Lenny's record of Scottish revivals and his three amazing uh, books and there's another one uh, about to be published. <clears throat> I read about the great revivals of Azusa Street, the Pyongyang in North Korea, China and so many other nations. But there's never been a revival without prayer. I read about the great revivals, yes I read about the great revivals, yeah. Um, I've heard many prophecies of revival, not least from Campbell McAlpine. In April, in April 1985, I joined many Christians from all over Scotland, gathered in Edinburgh for a day of repentance and intercession on behalf of the nation of Scotland. Following a march of witness up Princess Street to Carlton Hill, Campbell, a man of Scottish uh, parentage with a deep and prayerful interest in this land and a heart for revival, brought God's word for Scotland, and guess what, from 2 Chronicles 7.14, that we've heard. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. The prophecy is too long to read here, but I'm happy to pass it on to anybody who would like to hear it. Then, of course, there's Jean Donnell's prophecies, often quoted um, from the 1970s, where she said that the Lord would bring revival starting in Scotland. It would be like fires starting in the north of Scotland, that they would sweep through the nation, right through the UK and across to Europe. And many people are still holding on to that uh, prophecy. <clears throat> and there have been many other prophecies that you'll have heard of that I haven't. Um, but God is surely uh, preparing God's people for what he wants to do. Uh, a book I was given two weeks ago, uh, well worth reading for encouragement and to press in to pray for revival, um, is Malcolm McDonald's called Saturated with God. Um, it's just recently published. 
And I'd just like to read what, he says, what it says on the back. Are you thirsty to see more of God's transformation in your own life and the life of others? Are you desperate to see an outpouring of God in our culture today? It's time for us to become a people saturated with God. And that's what revival is. It's a saturation of God. Many of us believe revival is possible, but sometimes it feels so far away. We hear of astonishing accounts from across the world or read about remarkable stories <clears throat> in the pages of our history books. This is a book for those thirsting to see revival here and now. Exploring the profound images of water in scripture, including baptism, spiritual thirst, outpourings of the spirit, and experiencing the river of God saturated with God points a compelling picture of what the church can be, moving from barren dryness to being flooded with God himself. Get ready to be immersed, drenched, and saturated with God. <clears throat> Thank you, dear. Bless you. My friend Mike. Um, so the, the next person I was going to ask to speak isn't here today because she's not very well. So I'm not going to share her testimony with you, but I'm going to share with how I got connected with her and part of, well, part of the testimony. So... Uh, the young girl, Fran, is part of this church. She's part of our house group. And uh, she was talking about prayer walking. Now, I love to prayer walk. So uh, Laura, my wife, and I moved up here on the 18th of October last year. So we've been here 12 months and four days, I think. And um, so she, the Lord had put it on her heart to do a prayer walk from Killin to Pitlochry, not in one day. We did it over four days. To prayer walk, and it, it talks about, in the word about uh, redigging re the wells. Uh, we were praying about places that, like chapels and buildings, that God had used many years ago, but had basically shut down. So we wanted to reopen these places so that God could reach out to his people. So my wife Laura did a walk from Killing to Arjonig. Then I picked up the Arjonig to Kenmore. Now, if you know anything about Arjonig, it's a massive place. I mean, when I started the walk with Fran, I asked her, you know, how big is this place? And there must have been at least we're talking 10 or 12 houses. I mean, it's not that big. But many years ago, there was a revival there. Now, if you don't know where uh, Arjonag is, it's on the south side of Loch Tay. Yeah, halfway down there. And um, I'm looking for the young man over there and his wife here. They live in Arjonag. They have a wonderful house, and they're going to do amazing things with it. But there was a revival there, and thousands of people came to it. And this is in the days where you had to walk if you didn't have a donkey or a horse, or if somebody would give you a piggyback. But God just showed me 
You don't need a big place to start a revival. If God says, I am going to do a revival here, he will bring the people there because he's the one that's doing the work. So it was quite amazing. And the other thing, when we did the, the first walk from Arjonig over the mountain to uh, Kenmore, the reason why I love prayer walking is God can show you things about the area where you're walking. So we're up on the top of the mountain and it was a beautiful sunny day and I'm looking down over Loch Tay and it just looked so beautiful. It was just gorgeous. And I was just standing there praising the Lord and he said, don't be deceived. What you can see is beautiful but there are dark places. And those are the places you need to go in and pray to lift up whatever the darkness is and to bring in the light. So we walked um, and she was absolutely amazing because I'd say if you go on prayer walk and take somebody with you because the enemy is not going to just sit there and say, Great, you've gone on a prayer walk, have a wonderful time, I'm sure God's going to bless you. He's going to come in and try and disturb you and rattle your cage. And Fran was brilliant, she was really attacked, but she, she was just really faithful. Anyway, we continued the walk, uh, then from Kemo along the river to uh, Aberfeldy, then the next day from Aberfeldy over uh, to Pitlochry. And as we came over the hill and we saw Pitlochry, we just sat there, uh, yeah, and we just prayed over the area. And again, God shows us things in these areas and other areas where we stopped and prayed. And we just said, God, do it again. Whatever you did here before, do it again. So that was really wonderful. And that's why she is part of my uh, testimony. Now, that's the boards, not me. <laughs> I know I'm getting a bit old, but please, that's the, listen. Right, that's the boards, not me. Um, so, why did I ask Colin Kirkwood to come up and share? Now, I don't believe in luck, I don't believe in coincidences, but I do believe in divine appointments. And when God wants you to move, and he's, he, he's got a task for you to do, he will give you help and he will bring people across your path that he needs to help you. And when, I moved, when Laura and I moved up here from Chester, and I was quite active, we were both quite active in the church in Chester. So I was part of the healing rooms for seven years. I was, I was with a team of lads out in the streets on a Friday morning to pray for people on the streets, various prayer meetings, etc. So when I came here, I hardly knew anybody. The first thing I did, by the way, I found the church before I found my house. And I think, that's how oh, God blessed me so much in that way. But I, I didn't know what to do. I met in a church, I hardly know anybody. I met some really wonderful people who were sitting in the front here. And um, so, God, what do I do? What do I do? What, what do you want me to do? Now, God knows I have a heart for revival and a heart to pray. And I can prayer walk for hours and hours, and um, I know how, how, so, how important prayer is. So when I first started coming here, and I'm praying, and I'm asking God, what do you want me to do? Colin Kirkwood 
was one of my first conversations that I had. And the first conversation he had with me was revival. And I'm going, okay, Lord, I got that one. That's what I need to start praying about was revival. And he, he mentioned a book, uh, Sleeping Giants. The church needs to wake up. It needs to look out and not in. So I knew what God wanted me to do was start praying about revival. I know nothing about, I know about the Hebridean revival and Duncan Campbell and all this, and I've read in books on it. And it took me, so I left Swansea when I was about 20. It must have been when I was in my 60s when I found out about the Welsh revival. So there's a small little village just outside Swansea called Lucha. And in 1904, a young man by the name of Evan Roberts started a revival there. And he started with young people, which was really amazing. Again, that's another amazing revival that you should go and look up if you're not sure about it. Another one that Suzanne mentioned was Azusa Street in America. Another amazing revival. So Colin was that key uh, to get me praying for revival. Then Suzanne. Suzanne has given me so many books about revival that it's been amazing. But one book she gave me to read was, uh, I can't remember who the author is, Glory in the Glen. Yeah. To me, that's been an amazing book because if you read that, it's all about how God has moved from 17-something, I think it was, through the ages about revivals. And sometimes it started with two people praying, just like in, in the Hebridean revival. So it's so important that God, when God does it, he sets people to pray. So I knew I had to pray for revival. How do I go about it? So Suzanne is in uh, the same house group as me with so many other wonderful people and always talking about revival. So I thought, there's my connection. This is the lady I need to speak to. And it's good if you're going into an area to get some local knowledge where somebody knows the area and knows what's been going on and is excited about it. So I got together with Suzanne and I said, Suzanne, I believe the Lord wants us to pray for revival. We need to set up a prayer meeting. So that's what we did. I just want to uh, read something here. Prayer is the genesis of revival. The beginning of a time of revival variably has been marked by quickening of the ordinary prayer meeting, resulting in new vitality, more, more participation, more sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and more unction in intercession. Prayer is the genesis of revival. If you want to see something amazing happen, start praying. Even if it's not for revival, if it's something in your life that you need, start praying about it and pray until you get it. Uh, Luke 18, 1, Jesus says, pray and don't give up. Pray and pray and pray. I learned to pray by reading about a guy called George Mueller. If you don't know who George Mueller is, he was an amazing man of God who set up five orphanages in Bristol. And he used to pray and never tell anybody what he was praying for. And God would bring, meet all his needs. And that's how I started praying. I would pray and I'd tell, I wouldn't tell anybody what I was praying for. Because I knew when the answer came, it had to be of God. It couldn't have been of anyone else. If I had a financial need, I wouldn't go around telling every, 
<laughs> I know he's got a lot of money. By the way, I'm praying because I haven't got much money. You know, I would wait for God to do that. So we, we set up um, a, a prayer meeting in, and I'm, uh, this is my plug here, in Kamsoni Hall uh, every other Thursday at 7 o'clock. And we are praying for revival. Now, Kamsoni Hall is between Weem and Dull. There is such a place called Dull. But I think the people there are really wonderful. <laughs> Even despite some of the jokes are very corny that come from there. But so we have this prayer meeting, and we would really love to invite more people to come and pray. Now, the prayer meeting is an open meeting. That means it's not just for people from this church. People from other churches are more than welcome to come and pray with us. And I think it's really, really exciting. And I wrote down here, please don't tell me you don't know how to pray. Because you may know somebody, uh, you may think yourself, I don't know how to pray. Or, you know, I'm not very good at it. Or, I'm, you know, I'm a bit, uh, a bit shy, I don't like to speak out. But you may know people who are really great prayer warriors, people who just love to pray, and they can pray and pray and pray. And, you know, many years ago, I, a church I was part of, some of the, the people in there used to pray, and I knew they were in his presence. Just by the way, they prayed. So I'd say, if you think you don't know how to pray, every great prayer warrior was once a beginner. We all have to start somewhere. So if you would like to come, and we'd love you to come, there's one this Thursday, just happens to be that way. I'm very lucky. <laughs> but we would love you to come and pray with us. And even if you don't say anything, you know, God can hear your heart. I really believe that. But it's to come and find out, learn, grow, because to get into his presence and pray. It's just really wonderful. Anyway. I have one more thing to say. Oh, this is right. No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. Christians persistently praying for revival. And I really believe we need a revival, and it needs to start within the church. I would love to see people walking in off the streets, people who are not church, people who don't know God or anyone else, walking in off the streets and putting their hands up and saying, I need to be saved. That's what I would love to see, but I know it starts with us first. It has to come from the heart. And something, I wrote this down this morning, well, I wrote it on my, I didn't write this down this morning, but to finish with, and in the prayer meeting this morning, we read from Psalm 133, and it talks about unity. Where there is unity, God will command a blessing. And that's where it has to be. So the, the prayer meeting is an open meeting. It's for anyone who loves the Lord Jesus to come and pray and pray for a revival. 
So um, I'm just going to finish. I'm going to pray, and I think the, the worship team is going to come up again. So Father God, I just, we have so much to be thankful for. For your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the price he paid for our salvation and for our healing. For all the pain and suffering and humiliation that he went through. Yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Thank you, Father, for each person here today. That you will touch their lives. That you will meet their needs according to your word above and beyond what they could ever ask or think whether it's healing mentally, physically, or spiritually, Lord. Whatever their needs are, your promises are yea and amen. So I thank you, God, that when we come to you, we can lay our hearts bare before you, knowing that you're a loving, gracious, and merciful God. So I thank you, Father, for today, for the week ahead, should your son tarry another week, that we will love you, that we'll grow to know you more and more, that we will worship you and praise you because you are worthy. And I thank you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.